Welcome to The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want the truth about having a healthy, happy, strong body. Remember, your body was meant to move. Now here's your host, Stephen Sashen. Research is really clear for runners, walkers, hikers. Getting stronger is better. And now you can't go to the gym, but you might want to go back to the gym. I'm going to try and talk you out of that right now. So is my guest, who I'm going to introduce in just a second. But first, I'm Stephen Sashin from ZeroShoes.com, your host for the Movement Movement Podcast, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a healthy, happy, strong body, starting with the feet first, because those things are your foundation. We're going to break down the mythology, the propaganda, sometimes the outright lies that you've been told about what it takes to walk, to run, to hike, to do yoga, to do CrossFit, to do pretty much whatever you want to do, and to do it enjoyably, efficiently. And did I mention enjoyably? Because that's the most important part. If you're not having fun, do something different till you you are. Uh, we call it the Movement Movement Podcast because we're creating a movement about natural movement. We want to make natural movement or actually help people rediscover that natural movement is the obvious, better, healthy choice way we think of natural food. And it's a movement because that involves you spreading the word about this whole idea. And what that means is go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. You'll find all the previous episodes. You'll find all the places you can interact with this podcast on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and pretty much everywhere you can think of. And of course, you know, like and share and give us a thumbs up and hit the bell on YouTube. You know how to do it. In fact, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. It's a really simple message. So let's get started. I am really, really thrilled. And there's a better word. I can't believe it's taken us this long till I am happy to introduce Al Cavadlo. Al, hey man, how are you? Hey, hey, hey. I know it's, it's been a long time coming. It I've been, been, I think I might be the longest running zero hero that there is. I've been in a brand ambassador pretty much since day one with you guys. Yeah, I think uh, for a while it felt like you were practically living with us in the very <laughs> early days. So it's been a treat. Before we jump into that, though, since I gave you no introduction other than your name, tell people who the hell you are and why you're here. <laughs> so... Well, I'll try to be as, as quick and concise as possible. Good luck with I've that. been a personal trainer and a fitness expert for about 20 years. And my yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. Get rid of the air quotes, man. I would say that <laughs> you, have, you have rightly earned that title and appropriately well, that was, title. In I, ways, I appreciate frankly, that. Many people haven't. So ignoring that, so definite fitness expert, not air. Well, I don't know how long I've been an expert for, but I've been doing it okay. as a career there for about go. 20 years. And I've, I've written some books and I've, I've done some things. And my, my whole niche and message is essentially what you alluded to earlier, that you don't really need a gym to get strong and get in shape. You can just use your own body weight and very simple equipment like a pull-up bar or a pair of gymnastics rings or parallel bars or the floor beneath your feet. And, uh, and still get a great workout. So I've been teaching people how to get strong using calisthenics for a long time. And like you mentioned also earlier, now body weight training is more viable than ever because a lot of gyms are not operating. And even ones that are at limited capacity, people are just a little bit more hesitant about going to a gym in general. Right. And it's been a good thing for, for the calisthenics community in, in some ways. Well, I know that home fitness equipment has just gone through the roof in the last couple of months. Have you seen a similar thing with people really reaching out to try to find a less expensive, more available alternative? Yeah. I'll, I mean, I've, I've had been doing books on body weight training for since I put out my first one in 2010. Wow. So I've, been, I've done eight books over the course of the decade, but I did see an uptick in sales for everything when this started because people suddenly started looking for resources about how to do bodyweight training. And I was kind of ahead of the game in a sense. You know, a lot of people have said about everything that's happened this year, 
that it's just kind of made things that were inevitable happen faster. Right. And I think that, that the, what's going on in the fitness industry is a good example of that. Yeah, it's, you know, I love the whole idea that people are kind of taking it on as their own personal project rather than just doing something. I mean, people like simple answers and sometimes they'll join gyms because they think they're going to find a simple answer, which is not the case. And it's often just not even valid because, you know, what works for this person is not necessarily going to work for you. For sure. And so I love that and people you know, are you know, figuring it out. To be clear, I don't really have anything against gyms. I've, I've trained yeah. people at gyms, especially when, when it's cold out. You can't yeah, always yeah, yeah. go to the park. So gyms, I mean, I, I want gyms to be able to, to reopen. In New York, they're still all shut. And I, and I want, I, I have a lot of friends that are trainers and gym owners, and I, I want those people to be able to get back to doing what they love to do. And anything that supports someone staying on track with their fitness goals, whether, right, they're more motivated by going to the gym or more motivated by not going to the gym. There's something for everybody. I've been just trying to offer an alternative for a long time. And now that alternative is becoming sort of one of the only choices. Yeah, I I guess let me phrase it or frame it a little differently. What What I find really interesting is that people are recognizing there's more to being fit or getting strong than going to a gym. Because so, I mean, for example, there's a $400 piece of equipment that I'm looking to buy and, you know, and they have them in very few gyms. I found one that's on sale to be totally transparent, not that it's a secret. It's a reverse hyper machine. So I've got a compromised spine and I'm a sprinter. So reverse hyper is really good for a helping with some traction on the spine and B building glute and hamstring strength. And there's really very few things that can work that way. But more importantly, what I'm doing around the idea of using that reverse hyper is a whole bunch of bodyweight stuff. I do a whole you know, bunch of crazy high box jumps and one-legged squats in various ways and things that are also relevant for sprinting that I don't need a gym for. But if I were going to a gym now, you know, and I, if I were that kind of person, I have this arsenal of here's the machines that make the most sense. Here's the bodyweight stuff that makes the most sense for what I'm doing for who I am. That's the part that I find really interesting because I'm hearing people talk about that online as well. There are ways to do a similar sort of movement pattern without using that exact apparatus. I'm sure you can see some of them, like back bridge variations and things well, like that. Yeah. Set, well, sadly, I can't do I can't do bridge stuff because I've got a compromised spine. I've got a L for the fun of it. I have an L five, uh, a grade two L five S one spondy. So anything that's bridging makes it so that I can't feel my legs. So that's not good. <laughs> I'm, I'm told. <laughs> but, Even like like shoulders on the ground, feet flat. Sort of just like like a hip up and down. I can do better. as long as I'm not doing any lumbar hyperextension, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. So I can do like glute bridges, and I do those. Yeah, that's um, that's what but, I'm talking about. But as a Masters All American sprinter, I could do glute bridges all day long, and sure. even on one leg, they're probably still relatively easy yeah, for you. That's too simple. I mean, I definitely need the extra resistance. Back, let me back up just for the fun of it. I'm going to put you on the spot. Since this is the movement movement podcast, can you think of any movement thing that you would want to share with humans that they could try and experiment and feel right now just to, I don't know, just for the hell of it, just for the fun of it? And the exercise we were just talking about is a really good one for runners who are inexperienced in, in that type of strength training, just to lay on your back, bend your knees, put your feet flat on the floor a couple inches from your butt and push your hips up into the air, all your weight will be on your feet and your shoulders. And you're basically trying to make like a straight line from your knees to your shoulders because you don't want to arch your back like you were saying before. You don't want to be sagging too low either. You want your abs engaged. You want your glutes engaged. You want your hamstrings engaged. And you'll feel your quads too. And maybe even your your upper back and your spinal muscles helping get up there. And those, those are muscles that are so important to runners that sometimes don't get hit as well, even if you're doing things like squats. 
right. you might not be getting as much glute and low back activation as you can with, with a hip bridge like that. And then if that's easy for you, try it with one leg in the air and try it with the other leg in the air. I'm trying to think of like for people who may be sitting down, like what's a seat? Is there a seated version? Maybe something isometric or something. I hope if they're sitting down, they can get up and they got like four feet of floor <laughs> next to them. I mean, that's all. No, I know. I mean, I'm just, it really like, involves a lot of equipment there, Steve. No, 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 but no, no, it's not that. It's that, you know, sometimes, I mean, I don't know if people are, how much people are driving now, but sometimes people are listening to this in a car. There's every now and then I try and think of what can you do in a car? Or I think of like isometric. That, and that you have to keep looking at the road also. So you can't do like neck things, neck circles isn't going to work in a car. Because that's what I was going to say. If you're sitting at a computer, you can okay. do some neck circles at least. Open open that up a little bit, that sort of thing. You know, it's a funny but thing. Yeah, I think when you're driving, you should you should be focused on driving. You should, maybe you shouldn't be trying to get a workout in, in the car. Right, come on, Al. You're at a stoplight. You got 20 seconds to kill. Well, if you're, uh, if you're at a stoplight and, and you you – know that it's not going to change for a little bit, then you can maybe stretch your neck up a little bit, stretch it to the side. <laughs> so I want to back up and, and talk about your history because my memory is that body weight and calisthenics and, you know, the whole sort of calisthenic, oh boy, I got so many thoughts about this. Let me go, let me start with this one. Actually, the calisthenic and street fitness movement has evolved dramatically in the last five, 10 years. What have yeah. you seen, you know, where, how did you get here and what have you seen? How's it evolved and changed? I was a, a trainer at a gym at the beginning of my career, you know, a big box gym, doing a lot of conventional workouts with people, weight training and machines and things like that. And I always did, you know, basic calisthenics, push-ups, pull-ups, body weights, squats, dips. But I started, you know, a, along with a lot of other people kind of at the same time, just a collective unconscious things started arising where people started getting more into esoteric calisthenics. And I started seeing things like the one-legged pistol squat or, or a muscle up or a human flag and being really intrigued by these things and little by little wanting to learn more of them. And I found myself in my own workouts and also with my clients, like kind of gradually getting away from doing conventional workouts and getting more into esoteric body weight stuff and finding that like you were alluding to earlier, that stuff works as well, or in some cases better for some people than a lot of the conventional gym workouts. And this was, you know, around the time when YouTube was starting to become somewhat of a viable thing. And somebody happened to suggest to me, Hey, maybe throw some videos up on YouTube. And it was certainly not like nowadays, I feel like a lot of people get into posting online with an expectation of, okay, I'm trying to do this to reach as many people as possible. And there's an awareness that the internet can make you a star of sorts. Right. When I started doing this, the internet was so new, it was just kind of like, eh, let me just throw these videos up there. You know, what the heck? And then little by little over time, as was happening with a lot of other calisthenics people, more and more people started to see this stuff and get interested in it. And I was fortunate enough to, to have the opportunity to write some books and make some online programs and put a lot of stuff out there before there was quite as much saturation in the market. Right. That's to a certain extent is, is true for your brand also. There's a lot more people making yeah. barefoot shoes now than there were 10 years ago. Yeah. But yeah. My, you, you had a little bit of a, of a head start on, on some of them. Yeah. My favorite is the people who say, you know, I was looking for something kind of like this and I couldn't find it. And then I made this thing and it's an exact copy of something that we've done. And then I look in the database and saw they bought our product, you know, three years before they did that. But I'm cool with, you know, as many people doing this as possible because we're just trying to raise awareness it's not Absolutely. And that's exactly how I feel about bodyweight training. You know, I don't, I don't feel threatened in any way by anyone else in the field who's doing this, who's succeeding. If anything, it's great because it just, it pushes more of the, the door open for right. more people to, to reach 
you know, to, for the message to reach more people. Well, and that's the point, one of the things that, that I alluded to before that I find really interesting. I'm curious your thoughts is it seems like there's almost this split in the body weight and calisthenic community where there's, you know, the street fitness thing, which is guys doing unbelievably insane stuff. I mean, look, I'm a former All-American gymnast from 40 years ago. And back then, the number of guys who could do a planche was, you could count them on, you know, two hands. And now if you can't do a planche, you can't get into the club. So, you know, there's like the crazy, crazy elite. Yeah, it's the planche club, at least. There's definitely a planche club. And for people who don't know, a planche, imagine doing a push-up and then having your feet off the ground. So it's just your hands on the ground and then your body is parallel to the ground. It's, you know, crazy. So there's like this extreme version and then there's the, what, you know, normal humans could, should, would be doing, you know, talk about where you are in that world or what you've seen as well. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhere more toward, I guess, the beginner intermediate end of the spectrum in, in terms of who my target audience is, because I'm looking to inspire people who are relatively new to fitness or who are relatively new to calisthenics. And sometimes it, it's nice to show somebody an advanced move, like, like a plant or a human flag, just so they get a glimpse of what's possible eventually. But the, the programs that I write, for the most part, are not geared towards people who want to learn a planche or a human flag. I do have one book called Street Workout, which really is like an encyclopedia. It has everything from the basic stuff up to the really advanced stuff included in it. So that's sort of like the, the catch-all book. But my, my best-selling programs are the ones that are intended for people who are working towards you know doing better push-ups, maybe doing a one-legged squat, maybe doing multiple pull-ups, maybe a, a muscle-up is a reach move for people. Although, like you said, in the, in the street workout, in that high-level world, of course you can do a muscle-up. You know? You've got to be able to do 10 muscle-ups to even hang with some right. of those guys. But it's, it's the same thing in the world of running, right? I mean, most people who run a marathon aren't running a, a, a two-and-a-half-hour marathon. They're, they're running right. a four-hour marathon, a five-hour marathon. And the elites, you know, obviously are inspiring a lot more people to get into it. But those people are never going to be performing at that level, and that's okay. Yeah, I was just thinking about this, like, well, if we talk about, that's what I'm looking for, impressive strength moves, impressive body weight things. Um, you mentioned the human flag, we talked about planches, one-legged squats. If you had to think of, like, the one that people might be able to master the quickest that's going to be the best bang for the buck for party trick, what would you put on that list? The, the easiest move to do that looks the most impressive yeah. is basically what, or... yeah. <laughs> Hmm, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's really nothing that I would say is easy no, no, that is going to impress easy. anyone that much. But there are certainly things easier than a plancher or a human flag. Like, uh, like an L-sit is a good intermediate skill that I think if you can pop on the floor, that's something I'm sure you remember from your, your gymnast sure. days and hold yourself up and put your legs out in an L and hold that for a few seconds. I think that's a, a pretty cool move that's, that's attainable for, for most people with a little bit of practice and training. I'm putting them in order in my mind as maybe well. A, maybe an elbow lever, which looks kind of oh, like a yeah, yeah, yeah. trained eye, but your arms are bent and you're resting your, your elbows on your body. That's, yes. that's certainly, to someone who doesn't know the difference between an planche and an elbow lever, they might look equally impressive, but that's an easier way to do it. Yeah, that's a good one. That's actually a good catch. And for people who are, aren't watching to visualize this. So again, imagine you lie flat on the ground. Uh, this is not how you get there, but the hell of it. And you put your palms on the ground, your fingers are going to be pointing towards your toes and then squeeze your arms into your body as much as you can. So basically your elbows are practically in your stomach and then you're going to have, you know, then be parallel to the ground. So you're bal- you're more balancing than anything else. 
And, and uh, the, the it, leverage of, of the elbows is what yeah, supports exactly. you. That's elbow lever. You know, you know, now that I think of it, that's actually the most impressive thing I can think of. This is the easiest thing involves a partner, which is a leveraged planche. So this is one, again, I'm describing for people what, listening or watching, where you get in a push-up position and then your partner faces your feet and sits on your shoulders and hooks their feet under your thighs and slowly leans back. And if you get it just right with the right partner, you're not having, it's not a lot of strength, it's just a lot of balance, but it looks like, you know, you're in Cirque du Soleil. That's the key to that that stuff with the partners is you have to really know each other and be able to counter each other. Because if one person goes too quick, then they're going to drag the other person the other way. But like you said, when you're able to kind of get the scales evenly, that's, that's the key to all those moves. Yeah, it's a super impressive one. But then, so, so after the elbow lever, because I was flashing back, like as gymnasts, you know, we all learned how to do human flags, which is just super, super fun. And it doesn't strike me as like, I don't, I'm trying to think of which was harder for me, human flag or one-legged pistol squat. But, you know, either of those, if someone's going to try and really, you know, could do good party tricks, those would be my top two for knock those out. But here's a course. The thing about a flag, there has to be a, a, something to do it on. You know, if you don't have a good pole or a good surface uh, there's, to grab, there's always, a, the good, there's always a good or, or a handstand or whatever, you got a little floor space, boom. That's true. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> I actually had, uh, when I was in New York and I was doing some acting for a living, I had a, a card that I gave as a kind of like a business card that was me doing a flag, but it was the way the picture was taken is it just looked like I was hanging vertically and then you have to realize suddenly realize that the buildings were facing the wrong way and then people would turn the card and go what the wait how do you is that a camera trick it's like no no and then i would just go do it they'd get very impressed that the human made me think flag of, always gets attention that's for sure it's a it's a good one so you know there's another thing about calisthenics i did something during covid like the beginnings of covid where i was w- working really hard and just needing to get just do something with my body and i got into a push-up and a pull-up challenge. And what was really interesting in both of those was learning so many variations of each exercise. And I think that a lot of people don't, they think of push-ups as a single thing or pull-ups or chin-ups as a single thing and not realizing there's so many other variations that some are easier than others, some are harder than others. There are some that are way more interesting than others, more challenge. Can you just like kind of give people an intro to the width and breadth of what are seemingly simple exercises and things they might be able to try? Yeah, you know, the, the thing with, with body weight training that's essentially different than weight training at the gym is that instead of changing the weight on a barbell or a kettlebell or a dumbbell and doing the exact same movement pattern, you can alter little things about the leverage of the exercise itself to make it harder or to make it less difficult. So like a push-up, for example, I think the easiest way to illustrate this point is just to think of a push-up where your feet are elevated on a surface higher than your hands, as opposed to one where they're both on the floor. When your feet are higher, you're offsetting the weight, you're putting more of it in your hands, you're making it feel like the equivalent of doing a bench press with more weight, but you're doing that by altering the movement slightly. And of course, the opposite is true too. If you elevate your hands, now you've made the push-up less difficult, you have less weight loaded into your hands. And then beyond that, you know, obviously like taking an arm off the ground completely and doing a one-arm push-up is going to be even harder than a feet elevated one. And there's steps and increments in between. And that's true for everything. It's true for a squat. It's true for a pull-up. It's true for a planche even. There's, there's guys out there who are doing planches on their fingertips on one hand. And it's like the, the spectrum of, of fitness 
is so far reaching and feel like it keeps expanding in both directions. You know, as people keep breaking new records and getting fitter on the other side of things, obesity is getting more out of control. And it's just so weird that, that those things coexist at the same time, but here we are. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, one of the things that I really appreciate about your books, some different than others, obviously, and you can talk about this in a bit, is that you do give both the width and breadth or the depth and breadth, if you will, for individual exercise. So you have a bunch of push-up variations, a bunch of pull-up variations, often graded, you know, here are the easier ones, here are the harder ones. And I would just encourage people to, whether they're finding your books or finding you online, to play around with these because it really, for me, it's been so much fun to have this bigger, you know, more arrows in my quiver, if you will. So like when I go out on the track on the weekends and I want to do something, just some strength training before or after, usually after, just to, ha- to like sit around going, what do I want to work on today? What's my favorite one today? Do I want to do, you know, some wide grip push-up thing? Do I want to do chin-ups? Do I want to do pull-ups? Do I want to do something? I mean, just like all these different options that frankly, I just didn't have in my, in my brain before. And the fun part like the fun quotient is elevated by having more opportunities and more options. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what you said at the beginning of this podcast is if, if you're not having fun doing it, then what's the point. Right. And I think that that's a big part of what's made calisthenics popular and why I like it is it does have that playful element to it. And that element of just, like you said, trying things out, like, like a practice, it's not quite as rigid as yeah. some other forms of strength training. And I think for people like you and myself, we like to have a little bit more freedom to experiment and have a little more creative input into our own workouts. I just had a flashback to when I was in high school and was doing a lot of, a lot of exercise stuff, obviously for gymnastics. And in fact, so much of the body weight and calisthenics stuff is what gymnasts have been doing for ages because they don't typically go into the weight room very much. Right. Those, fact, those guys of, are pretty darn strong. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the push-up variations that you just reminded me of as we used to do chair push-ups. So you're, three chairs, one for your feet, one for each hand. And you just get a nice wide stance, if you will, for your hands. So you're getting like really, really deep. And we used to just do those all day, every day. Oh my God. Sorry. I just had the, the, the bigger memory. My first day of junior high school, you're going to love this. My first day of junior high school, our gymnastics coach hands the six or seven of us who decided we were going to try gymnastics, a sheet of 10 to the inch graph paper. And he says, every one of those squares is 10 push-ups." Whoever fills out the sheet front and back first wins a Coke. <laughs> we were a bunch of competitive 13-year-olds, and we'd come in in the morning. It's like, you know, how many push-ups did you do yesterday? Uh, 200. Oh, man, I only did 150. And then we'd drop and do 50 more. Then the other guy would do 50. And then we would do 50. I mean, we, were, we got to the point where we were doing, you know, not at one time, but over the course of a day, 1,000 push-ups a day just to beat wow. the other guy. And there, and what, what was, was it really about the was it really about the soda then at that point or it was more about the, the ego thing right it, it was all about the ego thing it was all to see you know it was the competitive thing I actually met some met a, a young man at a high school track meet and he said he wanted to be a, a college decathlete and I said I told him I told him this story you know we were doing a thousand push-ups a day he goes I can't do a thousand push-ups a day I said yeah we couldn't either when we started and I was just waiting to see if he was going to like drop and do 50 but he just kind of got depressed and I went oh that's it's not the right men- attitude to have. <laughs> you know, it's just amazing what the human body can get conditioned to. Yeah. Like, like ultra running, for example. I remember when that was a, a new thing and not that long ago. And I was like, what? Somebody ran 100 miles? That's like amazing. And it still blows my mind because I've never run a distance anywhere near that much. But now lots of people run 100 milers. And it's yeah. just, it's not, 
as much of a, a shocking thing anymore, at least oh, if you're aware of that community. Well, you know, another thing that's evolved a lot that is no longer shocking that used to be, it's all over you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I remember when, when I first saw the back of Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction when I was a kid, and they had like three tattoos. <laughs> oh my God, those guys are such badasses. They had tattoos. <laughs> and I, I have quite a few more than that myself now, as you probably noticed. What, so yeah, standards just change over time. What was your first tattoo? The first one I got was this, uh, this tiger right here on my shoulder. Oh, uh, got it. And wh so what inspired you can see that how, how much faded it is compared to this one that's about, I don't know, 20 years more recent right underneath it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I am art-free and ink-free at the moment, but uh, people who really make that kind of commitment, have you gotten anything where you've just gone, oh, no? <laughs> yeah, you know, there's, there's a couple that didn't come out as good as I was hoping they might or that maybe didn't age as well as others. But, you know, that, that's life. And one of the things I like about tattoos is you have to live with them. I mean, I know people get tattoos removed, but right. generally they're, they're permanent. And, and I feel like so much of life, people always want to take back things. And it's okay to be able to change your mind, and it's good to be able to evolve. But sometimes you just have to live with having made a bad decision, and that <laughs> makes you a better person. So I have a few tattoos that I feel like they did that for me. What, any ex-girlfriend names? or? Thankfully, no names. <laughs> Thankfully, no names. Um, what about actually current wife and child names? I do not. I do not have either of their names. Grace and I have a, a matching tattoo. We both got this diamond right here in the same spot for our first uh, year wedding anniversary. Oh, that's splendid. So that's, that, that's our that's our tattoo for each other. Well, and so, to, and to let people know, so your wife Grace is also, you know, a major bodyweight and calisthenic fitness person. What's it like having this in the family? And what and what are your thoughts about you know now that you have a child? I mean, I keep thinking we don't have kids, but I kept thinking, boy, if I had kids. I'd be a dangerous parent because as a gymnast, I mean, I did a lot of crazy, crazy crap and there's no way I would ever not have my child do things that made me look safe. <laughs> well, I, I think that maybe some mainstream parents would have the impression that you were a dangerous parent, but I don't think you would be a dangerous parent at all because I know you're a thoughtful person who, even though you like to push boundaries, you're aware that they well, exist. I mean, I mean da dangerous and like one day, one day we're at a, we're at a restaurant and there's some kids, you know, jumping up and down on the, the bench seats of the restaurant and the parents are yelling, stop doing that. And I was thinking if it was me. I would go, stop doing that. The springs are better on this bench. <laughs> you get more altitude well, yeah, over here. I, I definitely encourage Grace and I encourage our, our kid to exercise a lot. We take her to the playground pretty much every day that it's nice out and, She's basically made a playground at, at the home, just climbing on everything and going up and down all the time. And we, we want her to be physically active. We encourage that. But at the same time, you know, when, when you are out at, at a public space and, and a kid is doing things that are not socially okay, you do have to sometimes. Well, that, that's another one. I mean, I mean, much as I don't love to be a disciplinarian either. That's, that's, that's definitely been a challenge for me as, as a parent because I've always, as a trainer, Part of what I think has made me unique and, and stand out is that I'm not a disciplinary type of trainer. You know, a lot of people, I think, especially when I got started in the business, the idea of a trainer or a coach was that they were going to be a drill sergeant. They were going to be a hard person on you. And I, I always did the opposite and, and had success with that method. So I'm trying to be a gentle parent, but sometimes you got to lay the smack down. How have you dealt with um, what has become, sadly, a kind of, you know, fitness mantra of no pain, no gain? Well, by, by doing exactly what I was just alluding to a minute well, ago, trying to be the antithesis of that. Yeah. 
So I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, uh, the, the old cliche to be, be the change you want to see. So you feel like, oh, why aren't more people doing this? Then you should be the person to do that. So that's kind of how I fell into everything that I've done in my career. If somebody comes to you or you see that they definitely have that, that attitude that they've got to be enduring something unpleasant to get something they think they want, how do you work with them about that? It depends a lot on the individual. And I think something that makes for a successful coach is not necessarily having like stock go-to things, but being prepared to listen to the person and hear them out. And then based on what they told you, use your experience to guide them in the direction as as gently as possible. I I think one of the worst things you can do as a coach or as as a parent or just as someone in, in general who's trying to convince anyone of anything is flat out tell them that they're wrong. You've got, to, you've got to listen to people and hear them out and find areas of common ground where you agree. And then and only then are you able to maybe gently make a suggestion, even when somebody comes to you asking for your guidance. Yeah. If you're not gentle about how you deliver it, they're, they're not going to be receptive to it. It's a tricky thing on, on my end. Unless they want to drill a sergeant, like some people do. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah, something like that. It's a tricky thing on my end of the equation because on the one hand, we there's plenty of evidence that modern athletic footwear is fundamentally wrong. And so on the one hand, we want to really call it out and be somewhat confrontational or... Um, and, that, and that works. You know, people respond to that. I'm, well, I don't well, think you know, some people do. That they don't, and especially in, in, a, in an advertising sort of setting. You know, if you're, if you're trying to catch someone's attention quickly and on yeah. the web, there's so much vying for your attention all the time. So I, I was referring more to if I'm actually working with somebody in person one-on-one. No, but my- but my point is that what you're saying is still true. It's, it's an interesting balancing act. Like, like you're right. I mean, to be confrontational and controversial has value. It also comes, you know, with the a side dish of people are going to tell you you have your head up your butt and then you have to deal with that. So you're, you're cultivating a certain kind of relationship that is both good and bad. The flip side is I'm thinking about there's a Facebook group called running shoe geeks and somebody posted a picture of one of our shoes and was raving about it. And all the, and a number of people were like, if I ran in those, I'd break my ankles. My hamstrings would explode. My mortgage rate would go up. Right. I'd get Ebola, whatever it was. And finally, I mean, that's I stupid hearing that since I know. the brand began from, from well, it's true. And people who just but, don't get it. But again, but, but the thing that was interesting was what I did is I jumped in. I said, look, if you want to run in the shoes that you currently have, go for it. I'm not going to tell you not to, but when you take them off at the end of the day or at the end of your run, you might want to, if you just want something for active recovery to let your feet bend and move and flex and feel and get some circulation going, or if you want to just have something comfortable to relax in or something that that there's a study from Sarah Ridge at BYU that shows if you just walk in minimalist footwear, you can build foot strength, just like doing an actual foot exercise program. If any of that sounds interesting, you know, just try these for some casual use when you're not running. And it just ended the conversation. People had no response to that because like you said, it's like I, in that way, I was trying to meet them where they were. And, and I mean, it, it's, you know, sometimes I half jokingly say we're the heroin of footwear because I know that if they start doing that, then they're going to go, eh, maybe I'll try going for a little run and see what happens. And the next thing they know, they'll. All right. Once, once you have them wearing it at all, then. Yeah. Yeah. There's no turning back. I mean, once you go from, you know, having your toes not squeezed together, you never want to go back to squeezing them together. I, I think the other thing that, that happens is people are so deconditioned 
that they, they try to do too much too quickly. And this happens a lot in strength training and calisthenics too. I, I hear the same type of stuff. People see me doing a human play like, oh, if I did that, my shoulder would pop out. It's like, well, right. you're probably right. It would. But if you built yourself up to it gradually, your shoulders would be so strong that they could do it and they wouldn't pop out. People who are used to running in something that has a tremendous amount of cushioning and have never given their feet the chance to develop, if they suddenly try to go out for a five-miler in a pair of zero shoes right. on day one, it, right. it is going to jack them up. Which no, that's not the fault of the shoe. Yeah, and well, you know. nobody would suggest that. I mean, you know, it, right. it's, we hear it every now and then. It's like, and where we hear it from most is people who put on shoes like ours, and it, they're so happy, it's so they're so comfortable. They go for a little run, and they go, "This is great," and then they just keep going. And uh, during the course of that run, they get tired, and their form reverts back to something that's not necessarily good. Or, I mean, I, I would say calf pain, Achilles pain, knee pain, or any kind of pain. Totally optional. You don't have to have any of it. If you know, you I, I remember when I first got into, even before I, I switched to wearing minimalist shoes, when I just changed my running style and started running more toward my forefoot, I couldn't believe how sore my calves were. And I thought I had that same feeling of like, oh my God, I hurt myself. And then like two days later, they felt fine. And I tried it again. I'm like, actually, you know, this does kind of feel better. And then they were never really that sore ever again after that. Yeah. But I think a lot of people have that one first shock to their system are like, whoa, I'm not doing this. But the body yeah. just has to adapt to that. Yeah. It's, it's, there's two things that I find really interesting. And by I'm putting air quotes around interesting, I find it kind of annoying. One is what you just said is people will do something and they do a little too much too soon. They have not the right form that allows them to not have any of these little aches and pains that will go away. And their first reaction, oh, see, this doesn't work because look, I'm feeling a little sore. When it's just like you said, if you just slow down, chill out, let yourself build up slowly over time, it can all be fine. The other one is, oh, forgetting that the process of learning something new, like learning to run where you're not overstriding and heel striking and instead being a four foot lander with your feet underneath your body, that if you're learning a new movement pattern, it's going to take a little time. And the, the way it works is at first you try it and it's going to feel weird. And then you're going to rest and it's during the resting period where your brain integrates these new patterns. So then a couple of days later you try again and you're a little better. And that, but that frustration is not a sign that you're, that it's hard. You should stop. It's a sign that your brain is trying to lay down new neural pathways that when you rest will actually get integrated. And people forget that process of learning for, I'm thinking about running, but I imagine it's similar for what you do as well. Yeah. You know, I actually just had a conversation with a client of mine somewhat recently where I was kind of explaining that. And this is a guy who runs a contracting business. And I was saying to him, if you have your workers working all day and then you have them come back the next day and expect them to work all day, like by the third day, they need a day off or they're not going to be efficient anymore. And he was somebody who had a little bit of that no pain, no gain mentality. I was telling him, I was like, you have to take some rest. Because he was just wanting to train hard day after day after day and was asking me, oh, why am I sore? Why does my (laughs) shoulder hurt? I was like, this is why your shoulder hurts, man. So is, I think I think that that explaining it to him in a way that related to his world helped him understand it, and, and hopefully he's he's going to find that balance a little bit more. Well, and you just reminded me of a thing that I've been very aware of of late. That I'm curious what your experience has been, both personally and professionally. At 58 and change right now, the most annoying thing is how long it takes for me to recover. And, uh, you know, there's so much that I want to do that my brain thinks I can do that my body goes, oh, no, 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 you're grossly mistaken. And that's been very tricky to adjust to. I mean, early on when I got back into sprinting, the fir- it took me maybe two years 
until I learned that when I have the thought, let me just do one more, that's when I need to stop and not do that one more. But you know, like drinking, right? Say again. (laughs) It's like drinking. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Let me just have one one more drink. That's always then it's always a bad thought, especially if that drink has an umbrella in it or it doesn't taste like anything. I'll never forget the first time someone gave me a Long Island iced tea and I didn't know what it was. Holy smokes. I think I woke up in Utah. That was crazy. And I'm not even a drinker. It was just like, oh, this is, you know, very tasty. Or an Alabama Slammer, which is the fruit punch version of a Long Island iced tea. Those things are pure evil. Yeah, to to your earlier point, it's definitely true that as you get older, you have to recover a little bit more. And it's a hard thing to cope with when you were an athlete in your youth and you did train hard every single day and you kind of got used to that to readjust your, uh, your expectations of, of what your body can handle and, and to respect those limits. Because when you're young, you kind of do the opposite. Totally. You keep pushing beyond when you want to stop and your body can still recover from that sometimes. Oh, I, I have vivid memories of like, you know, we just had some big weightlifting session or something. And the next day we're going to go, we're gymnasts, we're just going to go work out and just feeling so sore I could barely move. But the whole idea was just, you know, do a little stretching, a little whatever, just till the soreness doesn't bother you the idea of taking a rest didn't exist in our minds. We just had yeah. to deal with or get over the soreness. And eventually it worked. That is just not the way it works now. This just popped in my head. I was going to say it this way. There's a bunch of older fitness guys that I know who I won't mention them by name, who are very, let's say, financially successful, who the way they have dealt with this is they're all taking drugs. and Testosterone. Yeah, some variation of testosterone. Some of them will say that it's just hormone replacement therapy and that, that they're getting back to, quote, normal or a high level of normal, despite the fact that they were yeah. asymptomatic before. Have you dealt with people who are wrestling with the idea of doing taking some sort of hormones or performance enhancing products? Yeah, I, I really have very, very little experience with anything related to steroids. I've never taken them myself. Yeah. I've never advised anyone on how to take them. If I had clients who were taking them, it wasn't something that we discussed as part of our training. And I, I don't think that I have had clients who were taking them. So uh, I, I feel like that's, that's more of a, of a, of a, a thing on the, the West Coast and, and where you are than it is here, but maybe I'm just saying, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know how much it is out as, here. As I mean, aware here, of it. Well, he, but yeah, I've, I've heard of, I've heard of older guys doing that. Frankly, I, I just don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't have an opinion one way or the other. Maybe it is okay. I mean, I, I could certainly yeah, I sympathize know. with the idea of being in my sixties or seventies and being like, damn, I, this used to perform differently. And I miss that and wanting something to, to be able to. So yeah, I really don't know. Well, yeah, and I don't, I, I haven't either, but I mean, out here uh, in around Boulder, Colorado, I, you know, it's all free range organic testosterone. You've got to make sure that it's fair trade, organic, free range, gluten free. The gluten free testosterone is. There you go. That's, then it's good for you. It's, well, it's way more expensive too and not as satisfying, strangely. It's, it's like a, it's like close to testosterone, but it's not as good as real testosterone. <laughs> So, this, is, this is definitely outside of my, my wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, no, you and me both. It's, but it's, to it's, your point about recovering slower, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm 40 now. I'll be 41 in a few weeks. And I definitely, I'm, I still consider myself relatively young, and I still think I have a lot of good years ahead of me. But I'm definitely not able to do what I could 10 years ago in terms of recovery. I can, I can still perform just yeah. about at the same level, 
but then I just need to rest for two or three days afterwards. <laughs> well, you know, it's one of the reasons I have, that, I have rested for two days before. Yeah, right. Well, it's one of the reasons that I'm very deliberate about not going into a gymnastics gym because I know that I could throw all the moves that I was doing 40 years ago once. Right. Then you'll be hurting the next day. <laughs> oh, it would be more than hurting the next day, guaranteed. It was also, actually, it's funny. I, I did a standing backflip. Um, this was two years ago. It was the last time I did one. I haven't thrown one in a little while. But where I, I had probably done, this is going to sound hyperbolic when I say it, but I'd probably done 100,000 of them up until that point. There was a time where I was doing about 100 a day, long story. But what was interesting is that when I did one this last time, I, I must You're have been a guy who likes repetition, right? Well, no, <laughs> it was actually- You've run thousands of miles. No, I don't, I, I don't run thousands. I don't run thousands. Over the course of your over the course of your life, you've, I'm sure you've run thousands, thousands of miles. Maybe no. you know, I, I, like as a sprinting workout, a long sprinting workout, including warm ups, is maybe two or three k. Maybe well, that, that'll add up, though, right? You've, you've been doing it for a long time. But I haven't been. I took a thirty year break, so you know. It's one of those, like when, that, when the whole idea that 10,000 hours to master something came out, I immediately said, oh, that's, got, that's complete bullshit. And, the re, and my first two thoughts were, as it, I don't know one gymnast who's ever put in 10,000 hours. You'd be dead by the time you did that. Or one sprinter who's ever been, been able to put in 10,000 hours. You just can't do it. Mm. Your body's not wired for that. If you do the math, like uh, I, I can't, I've done the math before. Just imagine 10,000 hours over the, the career of a gymnast or a sprinter, which let's say it's 15 years. Right. Like when they're training at their peak intensity, we're not counting warmups and things like that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like real training, you know, it's like you do the math and there's like no way, especially when you see some of these gymnasts who are in their teens, you know, they've been doing it for six, seven years. There's no way they could put in 10,000 hours in six or seven years or 10 yeah. years. I, I, I never took it that literally. I just, you know, kind of just the idea that you have to practice something a lot to get good at it. But yeah, the idea of trying to quantify exactly yeah. how long it takes to master something is completely absurd well, and the, then try to make that an umbrella thing that applies to all things that you can master right. is even more absurd. Well, the, well, I the, think the general idea that it takes a lot of time and discipline to get good at things well, that takes, I'm on board with. It, and it takes one other thing because some, the kind of person who's going to put in 10,000 hours is a different kind of person than someone who is not. They're interested in what that thing is. Maybe they have a certain competitive thing or whatever else drives them. But this, this takes me back to thinking about, you know, someone starting with bodyweight training and calisthenics is that, how do I want to put it? What's going to drive you to keep doing something is, we've talked about it a couple of times, is that sort of the fun component and experiencing the progress, experiencing some yeah. benefits and seeing that there's actual movement. And so this is why I love the idea, again, of having this bigger quiver, of arrow, quiver full of arrows so that you can find the parts that are fun. Like there's certain exercises and certain stretches even that I'm not good at and I just don't do them. And for a while, I thought that there was, that I had to, that if I couldn't do, like I went to, I remember going to Bikram yoga for a while and there were a couple of stretches, man, I was horrible at, and I felt this sort of normative pressure to get good at them. And then after a while, I went, you know what? I'm just not good at those for whatever reason. And then having a competitive mindset about yoga in particular, but exercise in general, isn't necessarily the healthiest thing, unless you're just kind of competing with yourself to try to get better in sort yeah. of a motivating way. But yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's definitely a, when yoga was the thing, I don't know if yoga classes exist anymore, but you, <laughs> everyone is kind of like looking around the room. like, Oh, mom, I was doing, keeping up with them. Are they keeping up with me? What's going on here? I think I, I went to enough yoga where eventually I kind of got past that. But there's a lot of that in the beginning, and it's not the healthiest way to approach it. 
Well, I say whatever gets you in the door, right? I don't know. There's there's a comic a comic friend of mine who does a line. He says, "I've been doing yoga so long that it, 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 I was doing it when it was called stretching." <laughs> and, uh, have you ever seen yoga competition? You know, I have, and the, the very idea of it fundamentally disturbs me. I thought the same. The ultimate hypocrisy. Yeah. Well, I thought that I thought the irony and paradox and contradiction of it was hysterical and crazy. But I wanted to go see what a yoga competition looked like. And I mean, it's amazing what they can do. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the competition part, I wasn't. You know, I didn't get. But like you're going. But you you start to. And what's really funny, it's kind of. It's it's not like an Olympic sport where if you're watching figure skating, you can't figure out the difference between that triple axle and someone else's triple axle. But you're watching people do competitive yoga and you go, oh yeah, that was better. <laughs> that move, the way you got in and out of that, that was definitely better than that other guy. I mean, again, it's silly, but it's also like super interesting and it hasn't taken off as a public popular thing. I don't think that it will. And I'm not sure that it would be good if it did. But, you know, I, I'm going to say to people, if you haven't looked up yoga competition on YouTube, do that. It'll definitely, it's, it, the entertainment factor is there. But it's, it's also very subjective because someone might be watching the same thing you just were watching where you thought, oh, clearly this person did it better. And they think, actually, you know what? I liked it better when the other uh, person did yeah, it. No, that, that, guy, that guy had his you know? on his head. The other guy had his butt an inch away from his head. So, you know, yeah. clearly it has to be honest. So maybe he had a better smile, you know, or <laughs> well, some other flair to it. I, I, think, I think that must be part of it, too. The thing I noticed about some of the yoga competitions, freakishly good-looking people. Well, it's a beauty contest essentially. It's 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 like it's like bodybuilding, which is something else that you know. As 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 a kid, bodybuilding was part of what inspired me to want to get into fitness. When you really know what it's about, and you meet people who have been involved in that world, then you're like, oh, that's not really what I thought it was. Those guys are actually not very strong as they look. They can't right. move very well. A lot of them are sick, or you know, I've, that's really the only. People I've ever known who, who were taking steroids, yeah. were involved in bodybuilding, and like I said, those those were not the people that I ran with the tightest. Because as soon as I saw a little bit of that world, it was it was not well, appealing to me at all. That's an interesting thing. There's some people who think that you know you can't get big doing body weight training, and there's some people who are afraid that just doing anything they're going to get big. Right? Isn't that funny? It well, is, the guys right? who think you can't get big doing body weight training are are men, and the people <laughs> who think you're going to get too big are generally women. But the thing, and I hear this all the time, but the thing is like, if you look around at most gyms, the people are lifting weights and they don't look like bodybuilders either. So it's like those guys, it's not the lifting that makes them look like that. It's it's genetic steroids. And then, yeah, of course the lifting is part of it, but (laughs) you or me, no matter how much we lift, we're never going to be on the cover of Flex Magazine unless we started, unless we started juicing, you know, 25 years ago. No, there was, there was one bodybuilder who said, yeah, we're taking a lot of drugs, but that's not why I look this way. You couldn't do what I do to look this way off of the drugs. I mean, you know, ignoring, taking the drugs out of the equation and, you know, talking to him, it was totally true. I mean, he, first of all, he was practically a monk. All the guy did was eat, sleep, work out. That's it. And just re- like beyond religious, beyond obsessive compulsive about each one of those things in a way that is, yet yeah, again, goes back to the 10,000 hour thing. You've got to have the right kind of personality, the right kind of whatever to be someone interested in doing that for a decade or more because it is. Absolutely. And, and to be clear, I don't mean any disrespect to the bodybuilding community. No, no, no. Like you said, those people are tremendously disciplined and they, that's what they want. That's their goal. It wasn't my goal. It wasn't what drew me to to this path and there's plenty of people who would look at what i do and be like 
that's not for me. This guy's an idiot. He's a tool. I don't like him. And that's cool. You need to have different options in the world, something for everybody. The world is very big. And I feel like more now than ever, there's more examples out there for people to potentially find someone who they can relate to. Yeah. I think that's part of why your, your brand has done well. I think that's part of why I've had success is because we've reached people who maybe nobody else was really on the same wavelength as, yeah. as them at the time that they were receptive to that. I want to hit you with a question that you can feel free to answer with a, a plug for any and everything that you've ever done. And it's a two-parter. Part one is if you wanted to give someone the simplest way of getting started with body weight training, what would it be? And the, the subset of that is if you wanted to do something specific for runners, since we have a lot of runners who are listening to this, you know, what would you recommend for them? You know, actually, I have a couple programs that I think are, are good for a runner or a non-runner who's just looking to get into this. And it really depends on what format people prefer. If you want a book or an ebook, I have one that's simply called Get Strong. I co-wrote it with my brother, Danny. It's our best-selling book between the two of us. And it has a very clear, concise program in there. It lays out a lot of you know, our philosophy behind it. It talks a little bit about some other diet and lifestyle things. And it's just a really good general overview of everything that, that we're about. And uh, for people who prefer more of a, an app or a video program, I have a program called Universal Strength. That's a 30-day video program where I, you see the exercises demonstrated actually in video rather than just reading descriptions and seeing photos in a book. And then I also have an, another app that's just called Al Cavadlo, We're Working Out. And it's, a, it's an animated cartoon app. And that one's sort of more like a reference. It just has a bunch of different little animations of me showing different exercises and taking you through a couple of quick sample workouts. So that app, if you, if you have an iPhone or an Android, there's a free version of that. People, if they're listening right now, they can just go download that right now. And then obviously, if they like the app, there's more content you can unlock with a premium account, which is still a pretty small investment. So for any of these things, where would people find you and those things? Well, like I said, they could just go to the, go to the app store and put my name in. If you can spell K-A-V-A-D-L-O, and you Google that or put it into the, the app store or Google Play or Amazon, then you'll, you'll find my stuff. And for the books and other things? Amazon has, has all oh, the Amazon books. Oh, Amazon has the everything. books. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you, I mean, it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for a book, you can go yeah. on Amazon. If you're just looking for general information, you could Google me. I was going to say, don't can find info nowadays if they want it. Don't, don't make me prompt you to, you know, don't make me force you to, to give out, you know, like your website or your Instagram or something like that. I mean, it's, it's all just my name. My website is just alcavadlo.com. My Instagram is alcavadlo. So if you Google me, Everything on the first page is, is all the stuff that, that people would be looking for. Oh, see, now you've given me a search engine optimization mission to outrank you for your own name. Okay. I, 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 then I'd be, I'd be <laughs> very curious what you would put on that page, and hopefully it wouldn't be too disparaging. No, no, no. It wouldn't be at all. It would be, frankly, it, I wish that it would be the last time you and I got to see each other where it would just be us hanging out in Venero's Bakery in the East Village because that was just delightful. No, in the early internet days, there was times just because I was experimenting with search engine marketing, anyone who had an infomercial on TV, I out, including Tony Robbins, I outranked them for their own name. There was no value to it because nobody was selling anything then, but it was just like an experiment to see you know, what was possible. I think that would be harder to pull off now. I'm really curious because my, my website has been my website for so long yeah. and it's just alcavadlo.com. So I don't, I don't know how anyone could trick Google into thinking that they were more... 
the authority on that than, than that side is, but who knows? Good no, luck. no, it, w- it would be a tricky one. The thing that's fun to do is, is you can rank for things like Al Cavadlo is the greatest body, you know, body weight fitness. Right. Guy you could, find, you could get a specific term, but just, just my name. I right. think the website I, I have had for. Oh, no, no. Years, yeah. And I'm certainly not suggesting that I would. There. Yeah. It, it's not like I, I would have the reason inspiration, let alone time to even try as somebody who has also owned a domain name since the beginning of the internet. Um, it's funny. One of my best friends and I, in 1991, we were sitting around my apartment saying, I can't believe someone's trying to register the domain business.com. Why would you just register a generic word? And by the way, who has $70? <laughs> and in fact, it was 140 because you had to register for two years. It's like, we don't have that kind of cash. <laughs> Oops. So, a lot has uh, changed. I'm trying to think if there's anything, any other specific thing I want to ask. I can't actually, I want to ask you this because we could have gone to this. What was it that got you into the whole idea of natural movement and minimalist footwear way back when? What was the inspiration and what do you, what would you recommend? I I know it's, it's, it's a cliche, but it was, it was the book born Serana. Oh, really? Perfect timing. And that's, and that's why I, I was seeking out this type of footwear back in 2009 or whatever it was that we first connected because it was right when that book had come out. And, and I, I, try, I tried on a pair of uh, the, the five fingers mm-hmm. and I just did not like the way they felt. And I, right. I wanted something that was, he talked about in the book, the actual waraches. I was like, I want that. I want what they were wearing in that book. Got it. And, and you were the first person that I found who could provide such a thing. Yeah, we, ju- we joked way back when that Chris McDougall, the author of that book was, our, what's the word? He was our inadvertent marketing department for the first two years because people were just responding to that book. There was actually a thing that, that I used to do. I took business cards, and every time I walked by a bookstore, I'd walk in and I'd find copies of Born to Run and put my business card nice. in, in the book as a, a bookmark. You're a hustler, and that's, that's why you are where you are now. It, well, it was inspired by a friend of mine who self-published a book, and what he did is he would just take copies of his actual book and put it on bookstores. put it in stores, right? Yeah. And so then when the person would go to check out, it wouldn't be in the computer, and they'd have to find out where the book came from, and they would call him and then order books. If someone actually went to buy it, which right there is yeah. a huge victory. Yeah, it was, it was pretty entertaining. Well, Al, um, first of all, thanks. Secondly, you know, needs to say, I love the work that you and Danny are doing. I, I want to, uh, one other compliment for the two of you about your books these books are gorgeous. The photography is spectacular. The artwork is, I mean, it's so thoughtfully and meticulously and well done that, I mean, just as a piece of art, I mean, they're worth taking a look at. I, I really, I, I haven't saw that. Thank you. That's a very nice compliment. Yeah. We're, we're very involved in every aspect of the books We're we're intimately involved in selecting photographers and photos and graphic design, all of that. Cause we, uh, that we love hearing exactly what you just said, and that, that means the world to me. Thank you. Well, and, and obviously, I'm a huge fan of your brand. I've well, been thanks. wearing pretty much exclusively zero shoes for a long time now and spreading the word as best as I can. Because like you said, that's what we got to do. That's part of the movement. At a certain point, about it. Yeah, at a certain point, we'll hit critical mass, and you know, it'll be the obvious thing instead of the odd thing. That's what we're... Yeah, I, I've seen plenty of people wearing zero shoes out in the wild, and sometimes they see that I have them too, and there's an acknowledgement. Yeah. Or, look and sometimes i see people this is the coolest thing wearing zero shoes and i look at them and they look at me and they say you're al cavadlo i'm wearing zero shoes because i saw you in the ad oh that's great i love it it's actually happened a couple times my favorite thing is um when someone recognizes my shoes and they don't know it's me well right they're not necessarily going to know your face yeah they know the product 
Yeah, yeah. That, that's my favorite. My fantasy as a business person is that someday I want to be at a dinner party where I overhear someone talking about how they were one of the people who helped start my company and they don't know who I am. <laughs> Hopefully, you know. It'll be an odd, surreal moment if well, that it's ever like, happens. Well, it's like, you know, here in Boulder as where Crocs started and the number of people that I've met who say they were one of the people who helped start right. Crocs and I know the people sure. who started Crocs. So, you know, I, I, I hope that someday we get to the point where people are misrepresenting reality for their own party favors. Um, Zero so, uh, Shoes has that much cachet that people yeah, want to yeah. lie and say they were a part of it at the yeah. beginning. Yeah. Now that's how you'll know you've made it. We'll, we'll get there. Anyway, once again, uh, everyone, go to alcavadlo.com, A-L-K-A-V-A-D-L-O, or do a search on uh, you know wherever you just said. Um, and anything, anywhere where you would search, hopefully you can find me. Yeah, exactly. And more importantly, let us know what you experience when you just add some of this wonderful body weight and calisthenic stuff into just, you know, don't even think about it. We could have talked about this more, but I like to say, don't even think about it like a workout per se. One of the things that I've been having a lot of fun with is just whenever I got to get out of a chair, I'll go do something. I got my, yeah, my I, think, I think you made that point earlier. That right? There's a playful element to it. And, but I mean, yeah. but I just want to, I just want to emphasize that specific thing. It's like, you don't need to do it can be spontaneous. Yeah. Like, you know, do a set of push-ups, do a set of box jumps, yeah. do a, just whenever. Well, hopefully person. some people who are listening actually tried that glute bridge. You know, we were I know. talking about that earlier, right? Yeah. Or then maybe they'll try it now. If you made it this far in this podcast and you never did a glute bridge, do you it. remember what we were talking about? Yeah, do it. And if you want to see something fun, check out Al's videos and look for Dragon Pistol Squat. If you want to see something that makes you just go, what? Uh, actually, it's worse. It's one of those things where you go, oh, that looks cool. And then you try it and go, are you out of your mind? That is so cool. <laughs> well, thank you, my friend. <laughs> so anyway, everyone, thank you so much for being part of this. A reminder again, go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. That's where you can find out how to interact with everything we're doing. You'll find all the previous episodes. You can leave comments and questions. In fact, if you have a question or a recommendation, someone you think should be on the show, or you want to tell me you think that I have my curly headed head up my butt, I'm open to that conversation as well. In fact, one of my fantasies for this podcast is to get somebody on who vehemently disagrees with me. And let's hear what that conversation turns into. Suffice it to say, like I said before, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. But most importantly, go out, have fun, live life, feet first. You've been listening to the Movement Movement Podcast with host Stephen Sashin. Remember to join the tribe and subscribe at jointhemovementmovement.com.